We're going to read God's word together. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. Helen's going to come and read to us God's word. Reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I'm taking a break just from Matthew this Sunday, uh, just to talk about the grace of giving. And if you didn't receive one of these on the way out, you may have seen them before. They're reprinted. Uh, they usually were before in a white sheet by, the, by, our, by our church, the, uh, the grace of giving. Please pick one up. We've been talking about the last few weeks, the Beatitudes, about blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. And this, this is another blessing that comes later on, the blessing of giving. And I just want us to reflect a little bit about that this morning. And then from next Sunday, we'll continue with our series in Matthew. Let us hear God's word again. Uh, Helen's going to come and read to us from Luke chapter 14, verses 7 to 14. So <clears throat> Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said this to his host. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will have been repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous.
Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for worship this morning. Our Savior, our Lord, and our coming King, we worship you and we thank you that you are the shepherd of our souls, the shepherd of our lives, the shepherd of our marriages and families. You're the shepherd of this church. So Lord, as we have worshipped you and we have read your word, speak to us now about what it means to be in your kingdom and to be your faithful disciple. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Not just giving, but the grace of giving. One time uh, there was a, a sermon series was going to run from Monday to Sunday in a church and there was different themes on every night. And uh, the third night, the Thursday was going to be about money and previously it was about finding hope in dark times and knowing forgiveness and things like that. And uh, this minister was doing this series and he said to his wife and she said, oh, you shouldn't have said that you're going to give going to preach about that on Thursday because I bet you that's your lowest attendance of the whole week and sure enough when the Thursday came about money the attendance just wasn't as good as it had been in the other themes sometimes I had gone to visit people given off church is always asking about money Uh, it's all that's all you're interested in Uh, and sometimes years ago when ministers would preach about money some people would have thought in the pew He's just wants a raise. Because there was a system 20 or 30 years ago when as the increase and as the offerings increased in a congregation, the, uh, the stipend increased with it. But thankfully that has all changed now that, that as income, incomes go up or even down in a congregation, the, the minister's salary that, that he is given uh, is not affected by that. But still, it's a hard subject to talk about. But the Presbyterian Church has helped us see that we're talking about the grace of giving. In a resolution in 2013, the General Assembly passed this, that ministers should preach and teach regularly about the importance of Christian generosity as a percentage of what is received and that the General Assembly while bearing in mind that circumstances vary widely encourage Presbyterians that in the exercise of their joyful freedom and responsibilities to consider setting aside in the region of at least 10% of their income missing T their income after tax as a target for their Christian generosity John Michael, our treasurer, spoke to us last week about the financial position of the church. And I, as I hear it, I'm thinking 10 years ahead. Where will we be in 10 years? Um, There's not a lot of money in most churches at the minute, but we are seeing a general decline. And sometimes our failure as ministers to challenge the congregation just about Christian discipleship and the grace of giving, that we leave it too late. 
And so what I want to share today is me thinking 10 years ahead. Where will we as a congregation be in 10 years? Because that will be decisive for the generation coming after that. So what we're witnessing in uh, the, the, the church is that we're becoming more and more reliant on gift aid relief. And that there are few congregations that if the government wasn't gift aiding back to our taxes, we actually wouldn't break even. But now in recent years, we've become so dependent on that, that as incomes go down, we're even seeing that some congregations are actually going into deficit because of that. So what's the future of that congregation? Uh, as an individual, and was it going to be linked up with another one? With all the complications that a minister running two churches bring, there's something lovely about me being the minister of this church. Um, I had two churches before, and that had its own challenges, uh, and, it, and its blessings as well. But there's something lovely about me being the minister of one church. Will there be a church like this in 10 years' time? Uh, that depends on the kind of people that we are now. Oil prices go up. The price of cups of coffee go up. But many people have never increased their given, sometimes for 20 years, sometimes for 30 years in congregations. Now, this is not about money. This is about the grace of giving. It's about worship. It's about witness. It's about community. It's about ministry. It's about our vision as a church to love God and love the people here and love this community. And I'm not going to say everything that I want to on money or possessions or wealth, but what I'm saying is you'll never get away from this theme in the Bible. Someone has calculated that in the Bible there are about 2,300 verses on either money, wealth, or possessions. And there are roughly about 31,103 verses in the Bible, which means that on average, one, oh, another spelling mistake, very, in every, one in every 13 verses, one in every 13 verses in the Bible will speak about money, wealth, or possessions. And even if you were to take Jesus' parables alone, one third of Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God relate to these topics. This is an area that affects all of us as disciples. It shows that it's a subject we must get right under the lordship of Jesus and his kingdom. So today I just want to share with you about the grace of giving. And to ask yourself, what should my attitude be to it? Sometimes ministers speak on these subjects because the roof has gone from the church and we need money to repair it or we're having an extension or we're doing a new building project and the ministers will look at, this is why we need to give. This is not about, there's nothing urgent that we need to give to but it's an urgent subject about why we give. What is our attitude to our giving? And so while I could have left this to, to comes later in Matthew, here we are in February with the year before us. And I just want, felt that it was right to reflect on this as we've been thinking about what it means 
to be in the kingdom of God. And so I'm asking, what is our attitude to giving? Why do we give? And so what I've done is I've taken this passage, which isn't about money, wealth, or possessions, but it's about our attitude to others in the kingdom. Jesus has been invited into the home of a very prominent Pharisee. And the Pharisees were always very prominent landowners in Jesus' time. So when you read about a Pharisee, you're reading about a wealthy man, a landowner, a decisive person in his community. And Jesus is invited there. And as he's sitting down for a meal, we read in verse 7, Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table. And because of that, he goes on to tell this parable. It's not a parable that you think is a parable, but Jesus says to the host, he's saying to the Pharisee, he's saying to the one who is hosting this dinner party, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But they're exactly the people who are at this dinner with Jesus. This Pharisee has invited. His brothers are sitting over there. His relatives are there and his rich neighbors are here. And yet Jesus cuts the atmosphere, I'm sure, just like a knife and stands up and says... When you're going to invite your next party, don't invite these people who are sitting around you. And so we've got to ask, what's going on here? Why is Jesus so critical of what's going on? We don't have this system, but let me tell you a little bit about the patronage system in the ancient world. In every community, there were certain prominent wealthy individuals And if you wanted to improve your station in life, if you wanted to improve your social position and move up in the world, if you want your business to be more successful, then you had to make one of these prominent community uh, wealthy people your patron. And if that person was your patron, that person would give you loans to extend your business. They would give you gifts as a mark of friendship, they would open doors to you uh, for your relatives and friends so that your social network and your business network would increase. You became part of this patron's network. And so you moved up and your family moved up in the, the social world. But what did this patron, this prominent, wealthy community individual get out of, of giving gifts to these different individu- individuals so that they are part of their network? What they got out of it was power. The patron had all these people who owed them because they had lent all this money to them. And therefore, they had the power to get things done in their community. They had this whole network as power base that could promote them and establish them at a higher level as well. So when you had these suppers that we're reading about here, this isn't just a dinner party. This is a a business world. This is a social networking uh, party of people trying to establish themselves with other people so that they would increase in the world. And so when you come to these parties, you're either trying to improve your social network by, by uh, getting a new uh, friendship 
uh, through it because you're all under the, the, the network of this patron. Or you're trying to get new ones. You're, you're trying to invite somebody new who's just moved in. You come and be part of our network. It's a bit like a cartel kind of thing in the ancient world. And the patrons, what they're trying to get out of it, the more that they have who are part of their network, the more power they can draw on against rival patrons to get them uh, ahead in their wider national level. So Jesus is invited to this dinner party. He comes to this man who's a patron type and Jesus has the audacity to say, when you give next time a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite these people who are here, your rich neighbors and your relatives. Because if you do, they will invite you back and so you will be repaid. In other words, here's what I want my disciples to do. I want you, when you have as my disciples, if you want to be follow me, give a banquet, I want you to invite the poor. The crippled, the lame, the blind. And if you do that, you will be blessed. So what's Jesus saying? Is he saying, never have your friends over. That when you give lunch or dinner, don't invite your brothers or your sisters. Because they'll have to repay you back with a favor. Uh, is Jesus saying, you've got to invite the poor. Again, You've got to understand Semitic idioms. Every language has its idioms that make sense only within that language. Some of our idioms are at the drop of a hat or barking up the wrong tree. To someone outside our language and our culture, it, they wouldn't make sense. You've got to, in, you've got to interpret what these words mean because uh, we don't bark. It's an idiom that makes sense only within our language. And so often when we're reading the Gospels and the Bible, we are reading idioms that we've got to understand what actually they're about. Earlier in Luke 14, Jesus said to his disciples, you must hate your father and mother if you want to be my disciple. He's not asking us to hate our mother and disciple because it's an idiom. What Jesus is saying is, as my disciple, your love for me must be so much so great that it makes the love for your mother and father look like hate. It's not that you hate your mother and father. It's that you love Jesus so much and so greatly that in comparison, your love for your mother and father looks like hate. It's an idiom. So when Jesus says here, don't give parties to your friends, what he means is this. Don't do the things necessary to maintain your social position in life. Don't do the things because they will pay you back. Don't do the things, but do the things that won't pay you back, that throw a party for the poor and the blind and the lame. You may not get repaid in this life, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He's not saying don't have your friends for dinner. He's saying you're giving to those who can't pay you back in this life should be so much more than what you spend on those who can pay you back in this life. So in answer to the question, what should our attitude be to giving? What does it mean to, as a member of the kingdom to have the grace of giving? 
Jesus is sharing with us two things here. The first thing he is saying, that our attitude to life in the kingdom is not just about being peacemakers and being humble and being poor in spirit, but in the kingdom, our giving to God has priority. He's not saying we shouldn't love our mother and father earlier. He says, you need to love me more. I'm the priority. If you have to choose between me and your parents in the kingdom of God, you've got to choose me because I'm the king of this kingdom. And Jesus is saying here, our giving to kingdom ministry should be massively more than the money you spend on what you can get out of this life. Entertainment, recreation, nice clothes, your holidays. That if the first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, then that commandment just not, does not just affect our hearts, but it also affects our pockets as much as our character. What's actually optional and negotiable is the money you spend on yourself. But God has the priority. Now for us, and me like you, we have certain financial goals. I have a mortgage to pay. I have fees to pay for, for education. I have... Um, other things that demand financial responsibility. I have lifestyle goals as well. Uh, certain ways we want to live, holidays we want to take, clothes we want to buy, the things that we want to do. But in the balance of life, if we have enough money to do that and to give to ministry, then we do. But ministry seems to be the optional end, whereas spending money on ourselves is the priority. Spending on ourselves is the necessity. And Jesus says in the words of Luke 14, you've got to switch around what is the priority from what is optional. Some years ago, there was a farmer who had a herd of cows and he had a cow that was pregnant. And he was very happy about that because actually his farm was going really well and he actually was financially quite well off. And therefore, he thought that he didn't really need this calf. So when the calf was born, he would sell it and he would have a tidy profit. And then to his joy, he discovered that the cow had twins. The cow had two calves, which meant he was going to get twice as much as, as money for the sale of these calves than just one. So very excited, he came to his wife and he had a sort of a magnanimous moment and he says... Honey, we're Christians. We go to church and you know what? When these two calves grow up and I sell them, I'm going to give half the proceeds to the Lord and the other half will keep ourselves. And she said, that's wonderful. What a spiritual man you are. Several weeks later, he walks into the house very sad. She says, what's wrong? She says, he says, the Lord's calf has died. He says they both got sick. One got better, but the other one didn't get better and it died. And she said, that's very interesting. I don't remember that we designated one of those calves to be the Lord's. And he says, oh, oh no, almost from the beginning I said, that's the Lord's calf right there. And that's the one that died. What a shame. The point of the story is this. 
It's always the Lord's calf that dies. There are certain things that we want to buy, want to have, trips we want to take, certain places we want to live. These things are our priority. And if we have enough money to give for ministry, we will. But if there's a problem and we're short of money, it's ministry we take it out of. It's always ministry that dies first. And Jesus is saying, not just in here, but in many other ethics of the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, you've got to switch what is your priority from what is your optional. Your giving to God in the kingdom has priority as much as our hearts and as much as what is in our pockets. And the second thing is that our giving to God is sacrificial. All through the Old Testament, the standard of giving was the tithe, which was 10%. And it was very clear. It was not, wasn't even negotiable. And if you give more than the tithe, the 10%, that was called an offering. So you read in Malachi, you read about tithes and offerings. The tithe was the 10%. The offering is what you are free to give beyond that. The tithe, the 10% in the Old Testament, was what you gave to the Levites, to the temple. But basically, you gave to God. It was God's money. When you come to the New Testament, there is only one place where Jesus says you should tithe. It comes in Luke 11. Woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Jesus says you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. He's challenging the Pharisees that just because you think you tithe doesn't mean to say that you're in a good relationship with God because you're neglecting justice and the love of God. But then Jesus says you've got to practice justice and the love of God without leaving the tithe undone. But nowhere else in the whole of the New Testament do you read one word about Christians tithing. Instead, we have what Helen read from 2 Corinthians 8. For I testify these Macedonian believers uh, that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And then in the right of their giving, he, Paul goes on to say why the Corinthians should also be motivated to give like these Macedonians gave because Jesus for your sakes became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. When we say, I'd like to give more to the church, but I can't afford to give, what we really mean is, I can't afford to give without sacrificing something in, that I need for my life. I can't afford to give beyond my ability, because if I give beyond my ability, I'm going to have to take the money from somewhere else. Now, I believe the Old Testament, you have the 10% tithe that is a standard of giving. So it operates in my life. Work out what the salary is here. What's the 10%? This church gets it. My offerings uh, to other things are over and above that. And Jesus is saying that's a fine place to start. But for us, for a lot of the church, that's where we finish at. Giving should hurt. And that's when you know it's sacrificial. It means there are things you can't do because you're giving. There are places you can't go because you're giving so much. 
The bank balance may not be great because you give generously and sacrificially. When you throw a supper for your own social class, where all the patron things are going on, it was expensive, but it paid for itself. That's how deals were done in the ancient world. That was a way of maintaining your basic, your, your business relationships and making sure there was a secure place for your family in, in the future as well. And yet Jesus comes along and says, if you're actually to throw a big feast and invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, that would just be money out the door. There is no financial return for you if you're to throw a party for the poor, the blind and the lame. They're not going to give you anything back. They'll enjoy a great meal, but there's no financial return for you. So Jesus is saying to this host at his great dinner party, one kind of the use of your money is not sacrificial because it has financial return. But one kind is sacrificial because it has no financial return. And that's what I want. I want sacrifice. As Christians, our giving to God as members of the kingdom has priority. And our giving to God is sacrificial. Some of us are thinking, is Jesus being unreasonable? This is about the kingdom of God and our response to it. Your giving is a response to Jesus and his love. Where does his love for us bring him? It brought him to sacrifice his life on a cruel cross. And the cross becomes the motivation for every standard of what it means to live in the kingdom. The cross is the standard for marriage relationships between husband and wife. For 2 Corinthians here, it's the standard of Jesus' sacrifice is the standard of how the Corinthians should give at their money in supporting the Jerusalem poor. The cross is always the standard over and over again of forgiveness and peacemaking and love and giving. But it's also not about just about sacrifice, it's also about love. If one of my children was really sick and needed to have an emergency operation and I needed to find the money, I would find the money. I would sell things. I would take everything out of my bank account because when you love someone, there is no feeling of sacrifice because you are driven by love and to help them in any way you can. So when I read these passages about money and possessions and finances and, and giving, the struggle is not because of what it's asking me to do, but it's the struggle with the requirements of Jesus as Lord because he's asking me, how much do you love me? That when I give, I'm not just giving money to church, I'm actually giving to Jesus. That our giving to Jesus has a priority because of his love for me. That my giving to Jesus is sacrificial because of his death on the cross for me and his resurrection. When I give, I show I love Jesus. And I show I love him not just because I come to church and I worship him and I pray and I want to be motivated by Christian character. But fundamentally, I love him because of my tithes and offerings beyond that tithe because I love Jesus and he's blessed my life. So when we talk about the grace of giving, 
We're not really talking about money. We're talking about Jesus and his love for us and our response in making his name great in the world. And that we come to a point, I hope, when we actually stop thinking about what we are giving, but we just give freely because our life always has enough that we give without even thinking about it. So this sermon is for you, the congregation here of First Balamoni. It's not about somebody else who's not here this morning who you think oh, they should hear that because they hardly give to this church. This is about you because Jesus loves you. Jesus hears your prayers. He sets you free with the significance of his child, with the inheritance of life eternal. The question is, how do you show you appreciate his love and how do you respond to it? So some of you may need to look at your income and work out what is 10%. It's not actually that much because you get to keep the other 90%. And God says you can do what you want with the other 90%. He is king and our Lord and we are his servants, but he says... You give me 10 and you can do what you want with the other 90. He is a generous king. The biblical principle is to start with that, not end at it. And so some of you may look at your income and think, can I give more than 10%? Or maybe you are supporting other ministries and other charities, which is important as well. The point is, does it hurt to give? That's the sacrifice. Is it sacrificial? If it hurts, it's sacrificial. And when we give, we're teaching ourselves to pray and say, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for your love for me and the blessing you give to me and my family and the hope that I have. Now, the General Assembly that I read at the beginning knows that circumstances vary widely. Not everyone can give as they would like or they would wish to. So I know of someone whose husband said one day he didn't love her, the marriage was over, and he just moved out. Just left her with the children. And when I met her, he was paying nothing towards costs of the house and the family. She was emotionally broken. She was financially vulnerable and in a very low place. She told me she went to church last Sunday when I was speaking to her. She told me how she had just enough fuel to get her to the church and back again, and she had no money at all for the offering. She had nothing. Then came the sermon, and it was on giving. And the minister gave off about those who came to church and didn't give anything towards the running of the church, and he shamed them. And that broke her even more, and she went home and she said she cried. Because she went to church wanting to be reminded of how Jesus is a refuge in the storms of life that she was going through. That he was a shepherd to her that she needed. But she went home with a telling off about her lack of giving. And even more guilt about the direction that her life had taken. So listen carefully about what Jesus is actually saying. In the kingdom... We are marked in everything by the priority of God and a life that is sacrificial. Forgiveness is sacrificial. You've got to sacrifice something when you forgive somebody for what they've done you. Peacemaking is sacrificial. But if God is the priority and we're marked by the cross, then these things uh, are a necessity of our life. So too are giving. 
But just your, as the same way you're blessed because you're a peacemaker, you're blessed because you're poor in spirit. So we read there, you are blessed by the grace of giving that freely shows that you are not uh, determined by the things of this life and what you want to hold on to. Our motivation is always the life of Jesus who gave himself for us and our salvation. And I want you more than anything else to love Jesus and rejoice in him. That you find the freedom that his love brings over everything, even including your money. And I want us to be in a place where we don't give him the leftovers, but that he is a priority of our lives and everything. And if you are in a regular income, that's easy to work out. But there are times when the cupboard may be bare. But thank the Lord if you have never been there as well. But for all of us, he is always our refuge. He is always our king. He loves us and cares for us. The question is, how do you respond to that is over to you.